Hi everyone, my name is Steven Wakabayashi and you're listening to Yellow Glitter, mindfulness through the eyes and soul of queer Asian perspectives. This episode, we're joined by none other than Rain Valdez. Hi. Hi, how are you? So good. So excited to have you. Uh, Thank you. I'm excited to be <laughs> on and chatting with you. Quick intro for Rain. Rain Valdez, she, her, is an Emmy-nominated actress, most notably known for Razor Tongue, Transparent, and Why Women Kill. She's an award-winning filmmaker and an out-proud transgender woman and activist. Rain is also the founder of Act Now the first and only LGBTQIA plus acting class in Los Angeles that teaches beyond the binary. That's so awesome. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And before we begin, I just wanted to do a quick check-in with you. How are you doing right now, given the pandemic and everything that's just happening in the world? I'm much better now. Uh, I mean, it's been it's been quite some time with uh, quarantine. I think at the beginning, I was very, very anxious, and there were moments when I dipped into depression. But I also enjoyed the downtime. I felt like I had freedom to do what I want creatively. Um, on my own time. And so that was fun in the beginning. (laughs) I did a few videos that I posted on Instagram. Um, and, but yeah, I think, I think it's been great overall because it allowed me to slow down and I got to focus on a feature script that I've been meaning to finish. And I finished it during this time. I've also been working out every day. So I've been able to focus on my health, uh, the way I've, I've always wanted to, as opposed to always putting it off. So I'm eating better. I'm working out. And, um, and now I, I've been redecorating. I've been kind of nesting, um, in my apartment, which is something that I sort of put off for a while because I wasn't sure how long I was going to be living in this place, but with quarantine or with COVID, I decided, well, it's probably best that I stay put and not go anywhere. So I started redecorating and just kind of been giving myself little home projects here and there. And, um, and that's been very, very helpful with, um, with my mental health for sure. So yeah, so overall, much better. Question for you, specifically around just exercising and fitness. I feel that I have gotten much worse <laughs> given mm. the quarantine because I am somebody who loves to go to classes and take classes with other people. And I'm just curious what keeps you motivated and just what keeps you going at home, especially by yourself to exercise. Well, so I'm actually doing it with a friend uh, and we found this um, amazing fitness women on YouTube called uh, Chloe Ting. She's like an Asian Australian woman and she's she's just amazing and she makes me feel very comfortable with my body and very comfortable with with the workouts and she does these challenges like 25 day um, hourglass challenge and 28 day summer shred challenge and so we my friend and I have um, we basically potted together because she is also single and lives alone. And so 
we've kind of just potted together as 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 a team and we decided to do the workout together because she had very similar goals as I did. So we started doing the challenge and we would text each other and motivate each other and be like, day one, done, day two, done. And, um, and yeah, and now we're on our fourth challenge. And so we've just been, we just keep going. Uh, once we finish the challenge, we celebrate, we like order like our favorite, our favorite meal, um, (laughs) or something fun and exciting. And then we start a new challenge and I've, I've literally has seen such a huge difference in my, my body, but also in my mental health and having this fear of like not knowing, um, if, you know, if my, my body is capable of, of this and that. So I think it's very helpful to, um, do it with someone. And I'm the type of person that thrives off of, you know, um, teamwork and and motivating each other and so i'm i'm with you i i used to be those people who loved you know a group <laughs> classes yeah. and um but now that i've been working at home it's kind of nice because i don't have to rely on that anymore and i i can i can just do it here and feel great about myself oh that's amazing amazing and i also feel you with um the nesting that you're doing mm-hmm. right now. I just moved into a new apartment. And, Congratulations. Oh, thank you, thank you. And we, we just spend so much time at home right now. And mm-hmm. we might as well make it a place we love and enjoy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Is, yeah. What do you miss most about life mm. since COVID happened? Hmm. Well, I miss working, to be honest. I miss being on set. I miss the crew, you know, um, working with the lighting people, the wardrobe people, because it's such a it's such a community based um, environment to be an artist, to be an actor. Um, So I miss that. And I miss um, with my company. We used to do live readings with um, with a queer artist who has a queer LGBTQ driven script yeah. uh, or, or female driven. And we would do live readings twice a month. And I miss those. I miss getting together with, with my queer community and, you know, um, being part of the revolution and supporting each other and moving mountains with each other. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I, I wish I, there's, there's, I, I really wish we can go back soon. And I, I get it. I get that we have to quarantine for a lot longer than we want to. And I've been very good. I've, you know, I wear my mask. I only go out unless I have to go to the grocery store. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a, a, a part of me that, that misses the get togethers. Yeah. Yeah. And California too. I just, especially Los Angeles where a lot of actors and actresses are out of work. Um, Mm -hmm. The state definitely boomerangs back and forth of, Hey, we're open now. Oh no, everything is closed now. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, yeah, I have a lot of friends who are in that space who are either in front of the camera or behind the camera and all Mm. of them, they're all out of work. um, And yeah, like like you, they did mention they miss a community and just creating 
the art, the artistry with other folks. And yeah, it's have you have you found any replacement or any way to connect with your community that uh, isn't necessarily the way that you had done it before physically? Yeah, we did for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, which was May, I believe, right? Uh, we did a virtual live reading for my script, Relive a Tale of an American Island Cheerleader. And um, we donated yeah. the uh, donations to um, a charity. It was, it was like, pay what you can. Yeah. Um, we casted it with a very, like, big Asian American led cast. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I was, I was one of the casts and, um, it was really fun. It was a way to, for us to reconnect with our community, but also, um, kind of expand into the Asian American communities as well. And, uh, so yeah, so we did that and then, um, yeah. So, so zoom, I guess that's, that's just, <laughs> the way we've been kind of yeah. having to, you know, make do with, with, with what we can't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you want to give a shout out to the charity that you had helped? Yes, it was APAIT, a organization that's led by a black trans woman and an Asian American man. And their sole focus is to provide healthcare to transgender youth and transgender women, transgender sex workers here in Los Angeles. Amazing yeah. that you're part of that organization and helping them. And yeah, I want to get into and dive into your story now. So okay. yeah, let's do it. So I read that you were born in the Philippines and moved to Guam early on. And I just wanted to ask, what was that like? Yeah, I was born in the Philippines, uh, my older sister and I, and then my mom, my, so my biological father passed away before I was born. And my mom, um, took a job out outside of the Philippines. I think she ended up working in Saipan or, or, uh, one of the islands in the Mariana islands. Yeah. And so she met my stepfather, um, uh, there and they got married and so she came back to the philippines and took me and my older sister with her to guam because that's where he resided that's mm -hmm. where his family uh was mm -hmm. and um yeah i think growing up in guam was was very different than growing up in the philippines i wasn't in the philippines for very long but I remember my family being very supportive and being very loving and I was very spoiled. <laughs> and I remember my grandfather yeah. would just give me everything and would validate everything um, that I said when I, you know, when we would be watching Charlie's Angels and, you know, Jacqueline Smith would come up on the screen and I'd be like, that's me. <laughs> and some people, some people would make fun of me, but, yeah. and, and I, and I remember crying to my grandfather and, and I was like, that's me. Right. And, and, um, he said, yes, absolutely. That is you, you are Jacqueline Smith. <laughs> and, uh, so I remember even as a young kid, I already knew, um, I already saw myself in, in women and, um, 
when I got to Guam, that was different. I didn't get that kind of validation and that kind of support uh, from um, my family in Guam, my my stepfather and and his family. And um, so, yeah, it was it was very different. It was very, you know, traditional, very Catholic and Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to fit in. And I as soon as I learned English, I didn't want to speak Tagalog anymore. And so my mom would speak Tagalog to me and I, I would like, I wouldn't answer her in Tagalog. I would answer in English and I would just, I would not speak to her in, in Tagalog because I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be made fun of anymore. Um, and so, yeah. And then with my transness, it just got to be a little bit more evident that everyone was wanting me to behave a certain way and I was very resistant to it. And then it just got to a point where I was kind of being forced to behave a certain way. Like my parents bought clothes that were very masculine presenting and um, I was taken to a barbershop to cut all my hair off. And so that was, that was really, really tough. And it really, it really changed me, I think maybe for the better, because it allowed me to grow up very quickly and it allowed me to realize it's up to me to really believe what I know. And it's re- it's up to me to, to, to get myself out of this box that I was being put in. And yeah, and it took, it took a long time to, to do that. It, I didn't really get to that point until my high school years where I was at a place in my life where at that point my parents really couldn't control me and so I started presenting in 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 ways that felt so much more comfortable for me being you know being feminine and 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 whatnot and then I graduated and then I got to LA and you know was I I had so much more freedom because nobody knew me in LA so it was easy for me to just be rain and everyone just treated me the way I wanted to be treated and saw me the way I saw myself. And so LA was kind of that, that permission, that, that validation that my grandfather had introduced to me and gave me when I was four years old, it took to getting to LA to, to feel some of that again in my life. Have you been in touch with your grandfather? Yeah, well, he recently passed away about oh, I'm so sorry. Um, three or four years ago, yeah. and um, and I had gone back to the Philippines when I was fifteen, and then I went back when I was twenty-seven, mm-hmm. and you know, he was the same loving, supportive, you know, man that I knew when I was a kid, and. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it, uh, yeah, he was, he was a great man for sure. Yeah. Being able to give you the permission to be yourself and just accepting you for who you are. I think what you had mentioned just around the language of not wanting to speak Tagalog at home, uh, I, I so many Asian folks relate to that, especially second generation, first generation folks who immigrate to the United States, where it's really because you don't see a lot of Asian folks in media, Asian folks in advertisements, Asian folks in 
anywhere, you know, especially even back then, 20 plus years ago. And we are taught to assimilate and that English is cool. And mm -hmm. I'm just curious from your perspective, when did you notice that shift of maybe coming to terms and then starting to appreciate your culture more so than you did back when you were growing up trying to fit in? Was there ever a turning point? I, I don't know that I've ever wholeheartedly appreciated my culture the way I do now. I think growing up, it was always about being American, being white, being Julia Roberts, being Sandra Bullock, being, you know, anyone but me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't really until I started to learn more about my family. And when I went back to the Philippines when I was 27, where I wished I had the language, I wish I knew how to speak Tagalog. I, I was wishing because I was learning so much about my family and so much about my heritage that I was just kind of absorbing everything. And the cool thing was the language never really left me. I think what happens is, you know, when I'm in Los Angeles, I just don't have the space to be able to speak in my language. So I don't, I, so I just don't. But when I was in the Philippines, I was there for about two months and after the first month the language came back to me and suddenly i was speaking tagalog and i was shocked <laughs> i i was that's, i that's completely <laughs> i completely shocked myself i was like whoa it just never it just never left me it's just one of those things that it's it's in you because it really is your first language you just need to be surrounded by the people um uh, in, in, in that culture to constantly have that language with, you, you know, to converse with you in that language. Because of that, I, I have a much more appreciation for it now. And I think with my work, it starts to show where I make a point to talk about the, the character's heritage and, and, their, and how they identify. Like, I like mentioning it um, because I think that that's important for representation and I think it's something that I've seeked all my life and never really saw it until I started creating it for myself. And off of that, what inspired you to get into acting, to even get into creating work? So I've always wanted to act since I saw people on the television and in film I mean, I was maybe five or six years old when I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. I think I may have kept it to myself for quite some time because there was this judgment in my head that being an actor or wanting to be an actress is cliche. Like everybody, mm, like, you know, yeah. everybody wants to be a rock star, <laughs> right? Everybody yeah, wants to be yeah. famous. And so I kept it to myself for a long time because I didn't want people to to not take me seriously. Um, but it is something that I've wanted to do all my life. And when I told my parents that I was moving to Los Angeles, I didn't tell them I was going to act. I told them that 
I was going to go to college and I did for a little bit. I, I went to Santa Monica college, but I secretly, um, went to acting school and I kept it, I kept it a secret from my parents. Um, so I was going to acting school, um, and doing a little bit of college at Santa Monica college and, um, and they didn't know. And when my mom came to visit, I think I was like 23 when my mom first came to visit with my little sister, I, um, I hid, I hid the acting, um, uh, from her yeah. for, I think maybe for like the first week she was visiting. And then after the first week I was just like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I need to tell you, I need to, yeah. I'm not in Santa Monica college. I'm, I'm, I'm an actress and I'm going to acting school. So, um, yeah, it was one, it was one of those. And, but she was very supportive and she was like, you know, asking a lot of questions about it. And she wanted to meet some of my friends and, it's something that that's always been in me. And the thing that was really heartbreaking was realizing how hard it would be yeah. to pursue when I got to LA, not because of it being difficult to get into, but because of my identity as an Asian American woman and as an Asian American trans woman. So for a long time, I didn't even bother telling people I was transgender because I was having a hard enough time just trying to get people to hire me as an Asian American actress or a Filipina American actress without being stereotyped into roles like the nurse or the mathematician or the nerd or, you know, the maid. Those roles are, are great to have, but I just didn't see myself in any of those. Like I saw myself as a lead actress. I saw myself as Julia Roberts or Sandra Bullock or Reese Witherspoon. Like that's, that's how I saw myself, but the industry hadn't quite caught up to that yet. For me, I started to realize if I was going to do this, if I wanted to act, I may have to create work so that I can cast myself in it. And so I can act. So the writing and the producing and the directing came from the need to express my passion in acting. I mean, little did I know that it would become the vehicle to actually take me to the place where I want to be um, as an actress. I thought I was just kind of doing it for fun at first. <laughs> it's always like that right where it starts off as something that you do for fun but secretly mm -hmm. deep inside that's your true calling and yeah. it's almost as if when we can let it be play and let it be uh, something a little bit lighthearted that we allow ourselves to dive into the space or else otherwise we are so critical of ourselves um, we're always trying to be perfectionists um it's yeah yeah i i, I relate so much with your story of hiding <laughs> hiding acting from your family i went to school in san diego and i was studying to be a doctor but also on the side i was actually double majoring in dance and i was taking dance classes multiple times a week hiding that from my family 
I was hiding my ballet shoes, my tap shoes. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was, you know, at the end, after I had done college for five years, they call it your victory lap. Um, <laughs> and so at the end of the fifth year, I, I had put together this piece, I put together a show, um, and then I figured, hey, why don't I just invite my family to come see something that I've been doing for five years in college, and uh, it was it was kind of bittersweet, um, but at the same time, uh, I don't know, I don't know, it, it was, it was uh, my family definitely struggled to understand the purpose and value of it, um, but as part of our Asian community, right? Our parents want the best. They want us to succeed so bad that they often sacrifice these other careers because they're so afraid it's not going to work out for us. You know, they want Mm -hmm. us to be doctors. They want us to be engineers, nurses, you name it. And anything that's in the arts and anything that is, what what to them is more of a like a nice to have career uh, you know there's that part that i also i, I kind of feel so it's it's a very sad part you know just not being able to accept and honor your own truth and have to think twice about it you know and so mm-hmm. my question to you is is um when 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 you went through those moments when you had doubts of you know was this even going to work out or even just this making the leap to los angeles right you know just just what what got you through it and what kept you motivated i think it's something that i just keep coming back to or something that i keep thinking about and keep feeling in my my soul and in my gut it's it's just one of those things where I've, and I've, you know, I, I, I've tried to give myself an out. I, I quit acting for a little bit and took a job in post-production, which is how I was able to learn the finishing aspect on, on filmmaking and, and why I became a filmmaker, because I was working in post-production, learning all these skill sets about how to finish a movie. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> now that I have this, yeah. this knowledge, I can start writing, um, and and bringing these projects into my post production facility to finish them, so it just it just keeps coming back to me, and I keep asking myself whenever it doesn't work out, or whenever I don't book a, an acting job, or if I have to take another catering gig, I always ask myself, well, is there anything else you would want to do with your life? Is there anything else you'd rather do? Like, just think about it. Think about everything that this world has to offer. And would you want to do that? And so I've thought about everything. I've thought about nursing. I've thought about even as random as being like a wine sommelier, you know, and I I thought about like maybe teaching or something. And every time I think of a career or I think of something that someone does for a living, it always goes back to... I would rather be an actor and wait tables to support my acting career or in the pursuit of it. And so for me, it's always, I, 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 I like having check-ins with myself and it always results into the same 
answer. And so for me, even today, being an Emmy nominated actress, which is, you know, the highest honor in television, I keep thinking about, am I shocked? Like people are like, are you surprised? Are you shocked? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely shocked. I'm definitely still pinching myself. I'm definitely still processing it. But at the same time, it's no accident that I'm here. It's, it's, it has been because of my strategic calculated risks that I've taken that has led me to this moment. And so I have to also acknowledge that. I have to also acknowledge that I've put in the work and I've sacrificed being close with my family that's still in Guam or in the Philippines. And I've sacrificed from being in, in a relationship that would maybe allow me to build a family. I've, I've sacrificed a lot of things. And, you know, it's gotten to a point where how much can you sacrifice and for what are you willing to keep sacrificing? For me, it's the joys and it's the rewards of being able to tell my authentic stories about being Asian American and about being trans because there isn't enough of it. There just isn't enough of it. And so if the more there is of me working hard to tell stories, the more people who are young can find and give themselves that permission and that validation that it's okay to advocate for yourself and that it's okay to dream and it's okay to be Asian and it's okay to be trans. And so for me, that's the dream is that someone who is young and trans or Asian can find enough content out there that they can see themselves represented in a positive way and feel like they're going to be okay. Because that's, that's how white people are able to walk around the world as if they own it is because they've seen themselves on television and in film owning everything. Rom-coms are propaganda for who gets to be loved. Action movies are propaganda for who gets to win. So we've been telling the world for decades that cisgender, white people, heterosexual people are the ones who get to have those narratives yeah 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 i think you touch on a really really important point of just it's it's not just representation that matters but it's what kind of representation that matters and i think especially as we rewind right 10 15 years ago when we're typecasting all these asian folks in movies plays you name it in these stereotypical asian roles uh especially for Asian women, uh, fetishized roles, very sexual, hyper-sexualized roles, um, and even trans roles. Uh, if we take a look at 
um, just all the folks who had been playing trans characters over the past decade. I don't think we have made really a huge shift until the past few years where the trans character is actually the hero. <laughs> they're usually the foil. Yeah. They're usually the foil that passes away. Um, it's just... I, I think it's just so important what you mentioned there. Just it's not just what representation. I mean, it's not just representation, but it's what representation. Yeah, we have to have all of it represented because it's what the world looks like, and so it's sort of an unfair advantage to marginalize people from the beginning of their lives because representation isn't equity centered. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you did an amazing job talking about this stuff on Disclosure, which I had watched on Netflix, and I was like, oh my gosh, you're so well articulate about these things. But overall, I think the entire documentary for Disclosure was just so well put together to mm-hmm. frame. You. Yes, yes, it was just so well put together yeah. and framed just the importance of the the actual representation itself and even just some of the ramifications that come out of it. Just thinking about some of the stuff I learned in disclosure, just the the trans violence that was normalized, you know, Mm -hmm. through media. I, I think, I think it was a great, great take of just pointing out a lot of just what I call missed opportunities. Okay. What was that like? Just like being a part of that, um, being a part of that creation, that story, for uh, trans perspectives you know i i didn't know it would make the kind of impact that it's making today i didn't because the conversations that we have in disclosure is conversations that we've been having within our community for years now and conversations that i've said in the media and in the press but i think what the film does greatly is putting those conversations side by side with the examples of what's been going on in Hollywood and how Hollywood has participated by creating these narratives and these characters in film and in TV. And so when you have what we're saying and what we experience side by side with the Ace Ventura depiction and the soap dish depiction and and then putting it all together and, and, and wrapped up in a little film, it kind of wakes people up a little bit to the hypocrisy of what's been happening in the industry because the industry is very at this point. Well, yeah, no, we love trans people. We, we want to hire them and you know, there's pose and then there's rain and then there's, you know, so you know, they, they, they're very quick to pat themselves on the back and congratulate themselves for the mentorships and the labs and whatnot. But what we're trying to say is those aren't enough and they haven't been enough. We need more. And this is why, because we're battling 150 years worth of content that's out there that's shaping culture and behavior and perspective. And so we need to move very quickly and fast and we need to do it with competent LGBTQ artists who are here and right in front of you in order to combat all of those negative depictions. And so 
what disclosure is doing is waking up people to the dire need of accurate representation made for and by the community. And I think that that's amazing. I think, I think it's fantastic that this is finally happening and I'm, and it makes me very proud to be a part of it. Absolutely. And kind of just piggybacking off of something you had mentioned, what, what do we need to do for trans folks in Hollywood? If folks are listening to this, what else do we have to do for a trans community? Well, so, you know, it's not enough to have one show and it's not enough to be the one and only uh, trans person who's nominated for an Emmy, which for a long time was just Laverne Cox and then now me. So I'm like the second, but, but I'm the first Filipino American trans woman, um, which I is guess amazing. That's what social, <laughs> social media is saying, but yeah. for, for me, it's, it's, it's not a revolution if it's just one. And so, and, and the one thing doesn't represent the entire community. It doesn't represent the different intersections that we have within our community. And so po- while Pose is great and we must uplift and celebrate Pose, we also need something else. We also need Razor Tongue or we need another creator or a writer within community writing something that's just as queer and just as just as relevant as Pose, but but different. Um, so, really, what we need is decision making power, and we need to be recognized for not only our talent but for our competency in being able to tell our own stories. And so, I think it's happening. I think it may not be happening fast enough for some people, but I'm very proud that it's happening and that the needle is moving. And I'm excited to be where I am today as a filmmaker and as an actress. And I hope that I get to tell more stories because it's, it's, it's all very different, just like Issa Rae can have Insecure on HBO and and Michaela can have I May Destroy You, which is also on HBO. They're both cisgender black women, but they both get to have their own half hour show on HBO. And both stories are completely different. Yeah. And so just like we can have multiple stories within different identities, we should be able to do that within the transgender artist in our industry as well. We should be able to have multiple examples of artistry. And, you know, I, you've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, but I just really want to just congratulate you on your Emmy and just being able to really put the stake in the ground, not just for trans Thank folks. You. Yeah. Not just for trans folks, but really the Asian community, the queer Asian community. And I'm just curious, what does this mean for you? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I've been kind of asking the, 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 that same question. But I think for me, it just means that it's validation 
that everything that I have been doing has been right, that I had always been in the right place. Because when you're an artist and especially a, you know, uh, a triple artist of being a writer and a producer and, and an actor, it's hard to tell if you're okay. It's hard to tell if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing because you're the only one fending for yourself. You're the only one advocating for yourself most of the time. And now with this new title or this new accolade, it, it and not just any accolade, it, it's the Emmys. So it's the, the, you know, the highest honor to have that is validating that I have been in the right place. And I it was right for me to make razor tongue after all, because you, you, you question your artistry and the decisions that you make. But for me, it was always about creating and it was always about telling authentic stories. And so the Emmy nomination just sort of validates that. Yeah. Keep, keep telling stories, keep being you and, and keep being unapologetically, breaking societal norms and breaking industry norms too and keep hiring the people that you want to work with which is more trans people so for me it's just validation that i've been doing everything that i'm supposed to be doing and it it allows me to relax a little bit actually and it allows me to realize that I was always meant to be making my own path because there isn't a blueprint here in Hollywood on how to make it for anyone unless you're born into it. And, but then that's, that's privilege. So that's a, a completely different set of, uh, uh, rules, yeah. circumstances, life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so for me, it's, it's always having to, create create all of that out of thin air yeah and that's what it feels like it feels like this was just kind of you know um it really is self-made and community built like mm -hmm. that's kind of what i've been saying to myself for quite some time and 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 in the press and in the media if there's anything that i'm proud of it's it's not because i'm nominated uh as an actress, but it's because I'm nominated for a project that was self-made and community built. Yeah. And, and now more people get to see the show and, you know, what, what I love about being in this position too, is getting, getting the messages from Filipino American actresses and actors in the industry saying, you know, we're so proud of you. Congratulations. Way to represent and from my trans community as well, my queer community, you know, like just getting all the love and the support and, and really that's what means the most is, is knowing that I'm inspiring people to continue their journey as their individual selves and be unapologetic about it. I, I was reading about Razor Tongue and I read that you had a majority trans casting crew for the show too, right? When you talk yeah. about community. 
Yeah, and I think it's just so amazing that you're also able to create these opportunities uh, for folks who really never get the opportunity to do these things if they just went to a studio applied, you know. And I just, my question is, especially for folks who want to diversify, want to recruit, and want to get more trans folks working on their project. Especially as someone who's been able to do it successfully, how would you recommend them to go about it? Well, they're actually not that hard to find. Yeah, you just have to ask, and you just have to you have to be diligent about your messaging and what you want to accomplish. I think one of the reasons why Razor Tongue was so successful, especially with the crowdfunding campaign. Um, you know, before we shot it, we crowdfunded it, is that we had a very specific message of this being very diverse on the camera, in front of the camera, and then also being very diverse behind the camera. Our DP is a trans woman. All of the music was made by transgender artists. Mm -hmm. And we had trans people in the, um, the production design and um in the within the directing team and just pretty much everywhere our script supervisor and so for me it it wasn't hard to find to find anyone to be involved because we're all very eager to work and we're all very talented and um so yeah i think that my my advice would be just be very specific about what it is that you're looking for and what you want to accomplish and just put it out there on social media or on breakdowns and um, you'll get a lot of submissions. There's, there's a lot of talent in our communities. Yeah. Yeah. And how, so once folks are able to get um, a more diverse community, are there ways that they can show up, whether it's showing up on set or showing up in meetings so that they create a more equitable space. You know, um, a lot of times there are so many microaggressions that happen, right? Uh, just in the process of working and people are just so accustomed to a certain way. And I had on uh, the show earlier um, some folks who instituted adding pronouns into every meeting, every script reading. And I think... Things like that is is just great. But I was just curious from your perspective, was there anything that you had done, especially either for your set, for your meetings, or whatever it is, to make it more equitable? Well, we definitely made a point for it to be a safe space. Yeah. So I was, and I made myself very accessible to everyone, even though I was on camera all the time because I I was the lead in the show. Yeah. Um, I show ran it and I made myself very accessible to everyone in every department. And I made a point for it to be a safe space and, and, and loving, it was a very loving set. I think one, one thing that I take pride of is I, I feel like I was raised right with having transparent, um, the show on Amazon be one of my first jobs. Um, you know, that, that, sh- creator Joey Soloway and the producers behind it, Zachary Drucker and Reese Ernst, they really set the the tone and the bar really high in terms of how to 
approach and treat trans people on set. And so for me, I kind of just took that with me into my own sets. We had language, we had pronouns that people were aware of, and we made sure everyone had a voice and that they felt comfortable to speak up about their job or their purpose or or anything really. And so I, I think being welcoming in that regard and allowing yourself to be accessible can make people feel really, really at home and really, really safe immediately. And it just makes the job so much more easier and so much more fun. It removes ego and it removes any unnecessary tension or microaggressions that may arise. And because the show was about that, about tackling microaggressions and misogyny, it was important for me as a showrunner that that we had a safe space that anyone can communicate to me or any of the producers about anything that they felt uncomfortable or anything that they felt they needed to bring up. Yeah, and I binge watched Razor Tongue in one sitting and it was such a great show. I think just how it Thank was you. written. Yeah. I, I'm just curious, what what's next for Razor Tongue? Are you gonna do anything with it? Is there a sequel? <laughs> what what are we gonna do with this? Yeah, there is. Well, there's season two written and ready to go. It's eight episodes. They're longer. It's more traditionally written as an episodic series where there's more scenes, more characters and storylines in an episode. So Belle's world is a little bit bigger. There's more characters. Um, we expand into like her chosen family. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about season two because we go so much more deeper into Belle's life as a trans woman and as an Asian American trans woman and what that's like for her especially since in season one, she kind of nonchalantly outs herself on the last episode. Now that we know, now that the audience know, we can explore that with the audience in season two. Season one was about the feeling and the uncomfort of being a woman in a society and an industry controlled by men, right? And so... Season two, it's going to be another layer of being all of that, plus also being transgender. So I'm excited to explore that with uh, with the characters. I'm excited to get back to work. It might take might take a while. We were kind of hoping to get into production <laughs> yeah. this year, but yeah. obviously COVID threw us all for a loop. Yeah. So um, yeah. uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to do something with it early next year <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i have i have so many friends who are pivoting some of the stuff that they had planned and rewriting scripts even to accommodate quarantine and quarantine life and uh it's mm. just i i can't imagine especially as a storyteller trying to tell your story given the current circumstances you know one one it's definitely mm. exciting but i think <laughs> it really puts your craft to the test to withstand a pandemic uh, <laughs> mm. yeah yeah 
I just want to also touch on a little bit. So this project you have, which is called Act Now, that you have in LA, can you talk a little bit about it? What is it? When did you start it? What's your current plans with it? So yeah, Act Now is my acting class that was LA-based, but actually we started our Zoom acting class sessions uh, online this month. And we we had people all over the country that signed up for it. So um, I'd love to eventually get back into a physical space because I think it's very important to um, to teach in in person. But but I'm also really liking being able to teach online and and be able to connect to people outside of L.A. And so I think for now. Uh, we'll we'll continue the online classes, but we very pride ourselves in being predominantly LGBTQ, predominantly transgender, predominantly non-binary, um, because for a very long time, I was always the only one in an acting class. And so having Act Now allows us to be the majority in an acting class, which then kind of eliminates the emotional labor that we have to do prove our existence and our artistry. Um, we don't have to do that with one another because we all kind of inherently already understand each other. And so it allows us to just focus on the craft of acting, which I think is really special. I love that I get to do it. I, I really do. And I love everything about acting. I love doing it. I love being on set. And I love talking about it. And now having my class, I get to talk about it even more and I get to teach it. And so for me, it's just it's just an extension of my artistry and who I am. And to be able to share the knowledge that I've learned over the years to queer artists such as myself uh, is is the greatest honor, really, and, and such a privilege to be in. So I'm I'm very proud of the class. We've been doing it for over two years now. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. I definitely have to swing by one of your classes one of these days. <laughs> yeah, we would love that. We we have guests um, that come by occasionally um, that kind of that co-teach or give some insight about the industry or their experience as an actor. So yeah, we we'd love to welcome. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I also I host um, not acting classes, but I host support groups and I hosted in New York City, but I had to also move over to Zoom. But what was really cool about it was I was seeing people join from I had people join from London, from the Philippines, from <laughs> it's a queer Asian support group. We meet once a month. And it's just people were joining in from all around the world. And it was just so, it was just so powerful and so fascinating. And I'm just curious, um, maybe, yeah, maybe you, like, when once things can open, we have both the physical and we still have the digital, too, to make things accessible, right, for folks mm -hmm. who aren't necessarily in the locale. And they can also join in from all around the world. <laughs> mm, yeah well it's just so awesome that you're creating this space you are just being an amazing example 
of how folks should really help steward uh, and create space for their community. And I, I am so honored to say that we share the same queer Asian culture um, and also celebrate you for your Emmy nomination. And uh, thank you. Yes, yes. And, and uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask how can people find you and get in touch with you? Um, I'm on Instagram and on Twitter at Rain Valdez. And my website is rainvaldez.com. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Definitely check the website and social media out. And yeah, it, before we go, is there one little tidbit or one lesson that you'd like our listeners to take away with? Oh, yes. Um, uh, move mountains with the people that you love. Find people in your community that you want to move mountains within for and you'll find joy in creating with those people because because you're doing it together awesome awesome you're yeah. doing just that with all your work and just so grateful so thank you so much for coming on the show really excited for all of the scenes to listen to you and also if you're listening and you haven't checked it out watch razor tongue i loved it it's so funny so quick just so sharp and so witty and um Thank you. Yeah, and check I that out. I appreciate that. Yeah. And to get in touch with me, you can follow me at Stephen Wakabayashi on social media. And really excited to continue the conversations with these amazing queer Asian voices. And with that, we bid you farewell. Hope your day can be a little bit more mindful. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. <laughs>